The following is a hoop ball presentation. Follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out HoopBallHoop-Ball.com on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. Still a lot of great stuff going on over there. Not only your up-to-date NBA news, even with the outlook to the fantasy um, season, even though that's over, but you also have different plays going on, especially in the sports betting realm. Just definitely get on that. Make sure to check it out, HoopBall.com on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. It is Friday, y'all. It is Friday, as my computer decides to let me know that Microsoft recommends editor. Thank you. Anyways, today is the 11th of June. We are flying through, y'all. This is kind of crazy. Um, and, you know, we had two good games of basketball last night. Dare I say it? Two solid games of basketball. Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks had a, a actually decent game. Milwaukee coming up to put up a fight, even though that was a game. We'll talk about that in a second. And then, of course, the Utah Jazz actually holding home court, beating the Clippers to take a 2-0 lead as they head back to Los Angeles. So we'll have to see um, what happened over there. I'll give you a hint. It was a lot of Donovan Mitchell. But, uh, yeah, let's just kind of dive in. We'll start with uh, Brooklyn. So the Brooklyn Nets, man, we know they're a scary team. We've seen how they played so far. In my mind, they've honestly been just a walk-in to the finals so far. And it's tragic because I hate teams that are like that, unless they're my Lakers, of course. But, you know, being just completely objective here, it is something to look at that Brooklyn Nets roster top to bottom. Know about Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. See their bench, which is actually pretty solid. You know, a lot of guys that are capable of filling a lot of roles for that team. Blake Griffin, who's been a very viable contributor in the playoffs recently. It's just been a lot for them. And no, wow, this team is a monster. We saw easily handled Boston. However, you were able to take that with a grain of salt because, you know, Boston was injured, short-handed, whatever. But Milwaukee comes into play and you're like, hey, this is going to be what we've been waiting for. This is the real finals, right? This is the series that we've all been looking up. You have Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday up against, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie. You have big benches on both sides. Obviously, you wish that the Bucks were completely healthy and had Dante DiVincenzo, but even without that, this should still be a very tight series. I had Nets in seven, uh, but I didn't have it close. Like I said, I had Nets in seven, and so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay, this is, we're going to have to see, you know, where this thing goes, and what happens? Yeah, I really want to know. Of course, you already know. Nets go, and they hit Brooklyn in the mouth pretty hard. They get, or the, the Nets come and hit Milwaukee in the mouth pretty hard. They get that first win, 115-107. You go, okay, hey, you know, you should have had this. James Harden went down literally in the very opening moments of the game. He got hit in the mouth. Kevin Durant was still a lot to deal with. That's fine. We'll recover, right? Game two's on the way. We'll be ready. So game two comes, and the final score is 125-86. to Yep, the 125-86 wasn't even close. Nets looked unstoppable. Bucks looked just horrific, uh, just all ang- all angles. Bud not making adjustments. Chris Middleton not knocking down shots. Uh, Giannis thinking he's Kyle Korver from the three-point line and then turns into just a blind version of DeAndre Jordan at the free-throw line. And this is like prime free-throw missing DeAndre Jordan circa 2012-2013. It was very, very rough. So what we come down to is just completely uber-important game three. Bucks are staring 3-0 
right in the face. And what do they do? Oh, they give just an absolute dogfight of a game. This game was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. It was scrappy. You had Kevin Durant and P.J. Tucker get into it. Uh, the Bucks shot 37% from the field and 19% from three. The Nets were slightly better, shooting 36% from the field and 25% from three. This was just a rough game. Uh, Giannis had 33 points on 31 shots. Okay, Chris Middleton, 35 points on 25 shots, actually pretty efficient. Durant had 30 points, but on 28 shots. Joe Harris went 1 for 11. Kyrie, 9 for 22. Make no mistake, this game was just an absolute mud fight. Get in there, grind it out, biting, pulling on ears, playing dirty, didn't matter. But at the very end, guess what happened? The Milwaukee Bucks pulled it out. The Milwaukee Bucks pulled out the game 86-83. to now, it took a lot of clutch shot making down the stretch. And, I mean, it was a, a big big shots by Middleton toward the end. Um, it was Literally, the final six points was the difference. Because Kevin Durant hit a big three to give Brooklyn a lead that looked like it wouldn't relinquish. Uh, for the record, Kevin Durant also had 11 rebounds and five assists to go with that 30 points. Uh, while Kyrie had 22 points, five rebounds, and only one assist. In fact, uh, for the assist department, Durant was your leader uh, for the Nets with five of the Nets' 15 assists. So you can imagine the ball movement that was going on. While, I mean, believe it or not, the Bucks had even less assists than that, only coming up with 12. Uh, their assist guy was, of course, predictably probably Drew Holiday, uh, who had nine points and five assists along with four rebounds, but shot a very putrid 4-14 from the field. Anyways, the final possession... Well, one of the final possessions ended up with a Bruce Brown floater that just bricked off the glass so hard. It reminded me of um, Draymond Green's floater attempt to win the game in that play-in. Um, yeah, that that first uh, that play-in game, if I remember, against... Was it a play-in game or was it overtime against... I forgot. It was one of the Warriors' final games. There we go. Well, he just totally bricked that uh, floater attempt. Bruce Brown, there was an errant pass that went to Kyrie. Kyrie caught it, almost heading out of bounds. Somehow they would have, you know, saved himself inside, pitched the ball to Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown grabs it, goes hard to his left over the outstretched arms of Brooke Lopez, and it hits the other side of the backboard. It was just that bad of a miss. Um, and then, you know, they get the Bucks get fouled. They're able to get their clutch guy, free throw shooting, and Chris Middleton, he makes both. Ball goes back to Brooklyn with two seconds left. And at this point, it's still scary time for Milwaukee because you still have two great shot makers in Kyrie and KD. Kyrie, though, served Ali as a decoy. Kevin Rand got the ball, was pushed out further than, you know, probably was comfortable for a game-winning attempt, winning attempt. He still pulled up. The shot still hit the back of the rim. So it was still very close, but obviously it missed, and the Bucks get the victory. But I don't think if you're a Milwaukee fan, outside of everyone just hyped as heck in that building, people are just excited, high-fiving to the kids, screaming. You know, you had guys just going off, just pumped. And I'm glad, you know, you have that passion. The crowd was already kind of whipped into a frenzy uh, before the game even started. And so you have that energy there. And that energy surely powered Milwaukee to the finish line. But you have to look at it this way. You had a game where Kevin Durant and Kyrie did not have great shooting nights. They just didn't. I mean, it's not, they went a combined, what, 24-52? No, 24-50 from the field. That's horrible. 20 for 50 from the field and 5 of 16 from 3 from your two big guns. You had everyone off the bench ice cold for, for um, Brooklyn. 1 of 4 for Landry Shaman. 1 of 5 for Mike James. Blake Griffin didn't do a whole lot in his minutes. And he played 30 big ones. 5.6 rebounds. 2 of 5 from 3. You know, there was no one else picking up the slack. Joe Harris came and shot. 11 shots. 7 of them threes. Only made 1 of anything. 
So even with all of that for Brooklyn going against them, Milwaukee didn't really save themselves. Yeah, P.J. Tucker defended his absolute tail off. That more than makes up for only having one rebound and two assists in 35 minutes. Didn't make a shot, but, you know, when you're having to switch between Kyrie and KD all the time, it's kind of hard, right? Brook Lopez, one of seven, one of five from three, not great. Already mentioned Drew Holiday struggles. Off the bench, not a whole lot different. Bobby Portis only played 11 minutes. Bryn Forbes didn't make anything in his 15, 0 of four from three. Pat Content, you're not getting much from your bench, and your starters aren't shooting great, and this is a reoccurring thing. That's a problem. Now, I guess, you know, this is a very, very low bar for Bud here, but uh, from uh, Coach Budenholzer here, but I'm going to give him some praise. Giannis, Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday all played 40-plus minutes, so congratulations for that because it seemed like they were incapable of doing that if you had listened to Coach Bud from Game 2. It just seemed like they just couldn't do it for whatever reason, despite it being the playoffs. Were they saving them for a sweep? I wasn't sure. So the fact they played this many minutes, hmm, makes you think. Interesting, right? But fine, aside from that, yikes. I'm not assured you didn't prove anything. The Nets just had a cold game. The Bucks survived. That's not what you want for a team that's trying to be a finals contender. Surviving? Yeah, maybe, you know, one game out of a series, but every game so far has either been a blowout or you winning by the absolute skin of your teeth. What does Milwaukee want to do to change that? Why is Giannis given free reign to shoot eight three-pointers? 49 from the free throw line, but he shoots eight three-pointers. Only makes one. Is he trying to match Kevin Durant? Because let me tell you right now, we all know that's not going to happen, right? Absolute below non-zero chance of that happening. That's ridiculous to even consider. And he's taking eight three-pointers. Eight. That surprised me. It's not like Giannis is blowing up the court from three this season. And the eight three-pointers he took, more than anybody else on the team. Yes, more than Chris Milton. Yes, more than Drew Holiday. More than Bryn Forbes. More than Brooke Lopez. More than P.J. Tucker. Eight three-pointers for Giannis right now? Are you kidding me? Ridiculous. Shot selection is absolutely a thing. I don't care what kind of star you are. And I'm a Russell Westbrook supporter here. That's something you have to consider. And when you're shooting that bad and you're already shooting 12%, and that's not a typo, 12% on four threes a game this series. I mean, this this playoff season. 12%. Again, 12, 1-2% on four attempts, a clean four attempts per game. That's ridiculous. Again, there's a guy shooting 29% from three historically in the playoffs. He hasn't improved that much. Okay? Yeah, he had a slight uptick in, in the season. Uh, actually, not even. A slight downtick. He, he shot a few less threes. Still shot around 30%. This guy's not a three-point shooter. There was no reason for him to take eight threes in the game. Wasn't like he was taking them under duress. It was just ridiculous to consider. And that's something I'm going to stand by there. And, you know, I hope I hope the Bucks lose the series. Because Mike Boonholzer, time for a change of scenery. He just doesn't seem to have control of the team. And I don't mean that in terms of the team's not listening, you know, they seem to play hard, good guys, all of that. I'm not trying to knock Coach Bud on, like, discipline. But he obviously doesn't seem to have a clear, coherent plan as to what he wants to do. And guess what? When your star players are playing like that, you're, you're not only taking shots that are not your most ideal, comfortable shots to take, but you have no reason in doing them. It's ridiculous. So, yes, the Bucks survived. Congratulations to them. Game four, still in Milwaukee. We'll see what happens. That's going to be very important. Uh, and you know what? Maybe we should be happy for that as NBA fans. Maybe we should be happy that game four isn't just the Bucks trying to survive a sweep. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, the ceiling is low for Milwaukee. But this is just crazy to me. 
after all this year, yet again so far, luckily we had another year where Milwaukee made changes. Remember, they focused and they were going to play more, you know, through Giannis at the four and the five. And look at the net rating and look at this and look at that. And old Coach Bud is diversifying his offense and yada, yada, and blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. And the playoffs so far seem to be exactly the same. This game reminded me of game four last season for Milwaukee in the bubble against Miami. Yeah, Giannis really didn't play that game, but basically Chris Milton, the rode him out, it went to an overtime game, it was ugly, it was a slugfest, you know, took some clutch shots at the end and surviving some missed shots from the other team for them to win, and at the very end, they still lose the series without one win being the only exception. That's very much how I feel about this. I learned nothing in this game that makes me believe that Milwaukee can withstand Brooklyn. I didn't. There's nothing here that makes me think, okay, you know what, they found something that they can go back to that is going to work, unless you mean hope and pray that Durant is ice, ice cold as he was. Hope that Kyrie shoots 9 for 22 again. Hope that the role players for Brooklyn don't find their stroke for Game 4. If you're talking about that, then fine. Maybe it's not nowhere near as sustainable an idea as, I don't know, picking up a diff- different defensive scheme or something, but okay. I don't know. That's just my thoughts on that. That was just a game I was annoyed by. Because I was like, yes, I'm glad they won. I'm all for an underdog. Didn't think Milwaukee was that big of an underdog, but here we are. So I'm all for that. And also, you know, I want to see a competitive semifinals because if this is indeed the finals for the Eastern Conference, if we're just presuming that whoever wins the series is going to beat the the, the winners of uh, the Sixers versus Hawks, then yeah, you would like to make it competitive and not just anticlimactic, right? I mean, that's what I would hope for. So yeah, I was rooting for Milwaukee here, but having watched this, I mean, I have no reason to believe that this is going to be something that is sustainable. Because so far, it isn't. And honestly, that's just the bottom line. Going to the Utah Jazz versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Um... It took 45 big points for Donovan Mitchell to help the Jazz secure the game one win over Los Angeles. Hmm. Is this some cold three-point shooting from Los Angeles and a big 37 points from Donovan Mitchell to win game two as the Jazz beat the Clippers 117-111. to Now, mind you, Mitchell had help. 24 points from Jordan Clarkson, including 6-9 from three. In every one of his threes, every single one was a timely three-point basket. Just timely, he went off the glass, had one just grabbed the ball, brought it up, you know, got off the pass and said, chuck it, and just made it. It was it was bingo time for him. He's electric right now, he's on a hot streak, it was good. Um, the Jazz had rolled to a, a, a pretty th- big lead, 13 points. At halftime, Lee would go as big as 21 before the Clippers really switched to a zone and made things tough down to stretch for the Jazz, but the Jazz held on to win. Uh, looking at the Clippers, I mean, their high guy was Reggie Jackson, who's played well this postseason, and especially well uh, over this series for L.A. He had 29 points on 11-19 from the field, 4-8 from 3. Actually took the most shots on the team. Kind of crazy, right? But Paul George only 8-18, Kawhi Leonard 8-17. Uh, Paul George, for the record, was a lot more aggressive getting to the rim. Uh, he was 9-9 from the free throw line. Definitely seemed to focus a little bit more on getting there and, and getting some calls. He had one call that was obviously a push-off. The rest didn't call it, but it was. They called a foul on Gobert. It wasn't. Uh, but it was nice to see him actually put his head down and say, okay, I'm going to get to the basket, come what may, and, and, and force the rest to make a decision. And he did that. Uh, he did have the most efficient night, and he did miss some some bunnies, some open threes, such like that, but Kawhi wasn't much better, to be honest with you. 21 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists for Kawhi. Uh, he tried to come out energized in the second half, uh, had a full court, end-to-end dunk, you know, off, off a rebound. He, he played okay, but I think, this is my theory for a lot of these Clippers, that the fatigue of having that 7-game series is kind of catching up to them. 
Well, that and just uncharacteristically poor three-point shooting. Uh, but that's where the variance comes in. The Clippers were one of the hottest teams shooting the three in the regular season. Like, just in NBA history, historically. Just one of the hottest teams shooting the three ball. Like, five guys over 40%. Tonight, you had only two guys. The one guy who shot 66%. That was Nicholas Batum. He was two or three. Two guys who shot over 50%. Reggie Jackson and Kawhi Leonard. Reggie Jackson, four or eight. Kawhi Leonard, two or four. Aside from that, Paul George, two or six. Luke Kennard, 101, and that was uh, a shot at the end of the first quarter. He only played 10 minutes in the game. DeMarcus Cousins, 01. Patrick Beverly, 02. Marcus Morris, 05. And that's all, folks. That was it. Ice cold from three, missed a bunch down the stretch that could have made the game a lot closer than it was, and they didn't, and it wasn't. (laughs) And that's just the bottom line. Uh, You know, the Jazz survived this one down the stretch. This is a way of surviving that I like to go to. Like, they had the game in control, but they were playing a better team, but they were able to make the right plays and get the key stops when they needed to to win. I was particularly impressed by Bojan Bogdanovic. Uh, He did tweak his ankle on a foul on uh, DeMarcus Cousins where he just kind of landed under him. It was just an innocuous play, but still. But he still played great defense on Paul George, but especially on Kawhi. Uh, He's matched up with him. He moved his feet well enough. Strength-wise, he held up solidly. It was really good. He had 16 points as well, four rebounds, one assist, 5-8 from the field, knocked down three threes, uh, two of those being big ones that I remember just momentum-wise. Joe Ingles played well, 19 points, four rebounds, four assists. Rudy Gobert, man. Before, uh, or just a raucous Utah crowd was awarded the Defensive Player of the Year award. And then he comes out and drops a monster double-double. 13 points, 20 rebounds, 2 steals, 3 blocks. All around a menace. And you know what? He really made the Clippers think twice several times. Which, I didn't think he would be a tremendous factor in this series. Because in my mind, the Clippers like to feast off of a say that mid-rangers anyway. So, okay. Like, yay, we have bear under the basket. Well, we're only going to stop the free throw line extended and pop a jump on your face, so what? But no, he made it so the only one who really seemed unafraid of just going to the basket at Gobert relentlessly was Reggie Jackson. That's it. Reggie Jackson, Kawhi had the ball a couple of times under the basket. Pump fake, pump fake, passed out. DeMarcus Cousins was stifled the basket. Paul George got some fouls, but he was stifled the basket just finishing, and he's already bad finishing on Gobert historically anyway. As a rule, the Clippers just did not find it easy to do that. And that's the difference uh, Rudy Gobert makes. I was very critical of him getting that super max extension. Just got like, um, how will this bear in the playoffs? This is a guy who's a, you know, decent offensive player. But when we have to start looking too deep into, like, screen assists for your offensive value, and I'm sorry, that's just how I am, I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know, vertical vertical lob threat, great. You know, vertical threat in general, great. But, eh, I don't know. But he's really made himself, I mean, he didn't really make himself. I think I just really truly understood the value of how well he's playing. It's hard to deny. Clippers just looks flummoxed with him on the floor. And you could tell the difference because when Derek Favors came in, they immediately looked more or less like their normal selves and attacked. And that was the difference. Now, I think I've gone on too long without really, you know, getting to the main thick, the meat of the plot, all that, which is Donovan Mitchell. So let me get right to it. The dude had 37. We talked about that. Three rebounds, four assists, not too much there. But honestly, he was the just consistent engine for the Utah Jazz all night. He finished shooting 15 and 29 from the field. That's 51% of case you were, you know, keeping track. 6-12 from 3, that's 50% in case you're keeping track. 1-2 from the free throw line, this was after he had been clipped in what could have been, at best, a clumsy play, at worst, a dirty play from Paul George, just kind of tripping up in a weird, awkward way. He looked like he re-aggravated his ankle. That was the only time he got to the free throw line. He made 1-2 there, so again, 50%. All in all, Donovan was just the guy. He started off super hot, all right, uh, just helping the Jazz get to a 30-29 lead, helped them just all the way through 
and and couldn't be stopped. I mean, honestly, the Clippers may have to consider putting Kawhi on him for longer stretches and hope that Kawhi has the energy for it. Because, like I said, he's playing big minutes, but he doesn't seem to be having quite the effect he was having last series. And maybe it took him a little bit longer to kind of warm up last series, so maybe that's the case here. But just saying for what I'm seeing right now, not super great. They obviously need to have adjustments on Donovan Mitchell because whatever they're doing right now isn't working. Second straight game where he's just gone absolutely electric. He's on fire right now, and you really have to hope that ankle has some time to heal. Uh, remember, the Jazz Clippers play this series every other game, every other day, I mean, rather. So they have today off, and they play again, of course, tomorrow. So something to just keep in mind moving forward. But so far, so good for the Jazz. Paul George, after the game, just a postseason classic for Paul George, saying, hey, you know, this has been tough. It's a tough opponent, but guess what? You know, we, we have some adjustments to make, but we're okay. We're good. Now, he said last series, and they were good. The last time he really said that before that was, you know, second round against the Denver Nuggets, and they weren't good. So take that with what it was, grain of salt, because last series he said the same thing down 2-0 in Dallas, and what did they do? They came back and won that in seven games. So it's definitely in play for the Clippers, even more so if Donovan Mitchell is hampered. Remember, you still have Mike Conley out, hasn't played a game yet this series, so we'll have to see how it goes. But if Donovan Mitchell can come back just anywhere near how he was tonight, play as effectively as he did, and, you know, hopefully Mike Conley comes back, the Jazz are fully in the driver's seat. And that's something you have to worry about if you're a Clippers fan. A second round exit yet again? Stare him in the face. We'll have to see how they come back. We got one major birthday today. Happy birthday to Chuck Hayes, who is 38. Chuck Hayes was the 6'6 power forward center who played 13 years in the NBA, seven of them in Houston, three in Sacramento, two in Toronto. Really known more for me for his hard-working style and just unorthodox free-throw form that was just kind of, well, can't really lie about it. It was just kind of ugly. <laughs> um, for the record, uh, Hayes was a career uh, 62% from the free-throw line, but he played hard, he played with effort, and you know what? I thought he was a likable dude, so happy birthday to Chuck, 38 today. As far as games tonight, we have two games being played tonight. Philadelphia will play Atlanta at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. Series tied 1-1. Philadelphia made a major adjustment, really just putting Ben Simmons on Trey Young from the jump. That stifled Atlanta's attack. Uh, It really took them out of rhythm, but we'll see how they are back at the A, as Trey Young likes to say. See if the role players really find their shooting stroke. You know how role players play at home, so we'll see if that is something that takes effect. Meanwhile, at 10 o'clock Eastern is Game 3. Nikola Jokic will definitely be getting the MVP trophy in front of his fans, and it will be important to see how Denver bounces back. Down 0-2 as Phoenix looks for the 3-0 lead. Phoenix has been dominant. If Chris Paul is getting healthier, as they say, and he looks better, uh, I don't know if the Nuggets stand a chance. I mean, and this is why as a Portland fan, you have to be upset because, yeah, the Blazers' defense was bad, but you're playing a team that, with as good as Jokic is, is missing their second-best player and has their third-best player on a minutes restriction right now. Bottom line, Phoenix is a better team than Portland, but they're also taking advantage of that to full effect. So maybe, you know, back at home, some guys like Facundo Campazzo, Austin Rivers, Aaron Gordon, they can find a three-point stroke and get back. But right now, they're just overmatched, completely overwhelmed, out of touch, out of depth, and they're looking like they're about to be down 3-0. And if so, the sad thing is it's it's not even that surprising. It's almost expected, which is a problem, you know, you know, if you're rooting for the Nuggets, but let's just be completely real. The Suns are a better team, top to bottom across the board, just a better team. I mean, you have people on NBA Twitter now talking about them finally making, or possibly, not finally, possibly making a finals run. The Suns have made the finals twice, once in 1976, once in 1993. So, yeah. But yeah, that is 
pretty much it for this edition of Round Ball Ramble. You know where to find me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Make sure to check out Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets, online hoop-ball.com. Enjoy your Friday, the rest of it. Enjoy your weekend. Make it a good one. And you know I'll be back with you next week. Take care. Talk to you soon. Stay frosty. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.